You're listening to the Friday Morning Podcast with hosts Bill Ballinger and Dennis Denno discussing Michigan politics and political history. The Friday Morning Podcast has you covered. Hey, Bill, before we go to our guest, let's talk a little bit about our partner, DeadlineDetroit.com. Well, Deadline Detroit is a one-stop online news site that aggregates the best stories from local, national, and international media about Metro Detroit. It also produces original reporting and provides commentary from top-rate local journalists. Great. Now let's go to our guest. And with me now is Virgil Smith. Virgil Smith was a Democratic state representative and state senator from the city of Detroit. And full disclosure, I was one of his staffers when he was in the Michigan Senate. Welcome to the Friday Morning Podcast, Virgil Smith. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so let's uh, let's get let's get right to it, Virgil. Obviously, you were in the state Senate. Uh, you were a very prominent Democrat in the legislature. And in 2015, May of 2015, you had some legal problems. You the the media reported that your ex came over to your house one night, found another woman in bed. Uh, you you uh, kicked her out. You came out naked, and you had a gun. You shot up her car, and you attempted to shoot at her. What really happened? What's your side of the story? Yeah, that did not happen. Yes, unfortunately, the morning of May 10th, um, I was awakened uh, by somebody who came to my house and was knocking on my bedroom window. My bedroom was on the first floor at the time. Um, And basically an intruder. Uh, The mistake that I made, and I tell all young males, is when you have an irate female outside of your house, never try to go outside. The mistake I made was I tried to go outside, and she was able to gain access to my house at that point, and all hell broke loose. Um, So the stories that have been reported on at uh, at the initial or when the incident first happened, most are untrue. I did end up taking a plea because the car was shot and I could not, you know, I had to own. You have to know what you're guilty of and know what you're innocent of in a situation like that. So let's talk about that plea, Virgil. You and the prosecutor uh, agreed to some terms. Part of the term was that you would resign from the Michigan Senate, which you eventually did. Part of the plea, if I remember correctly, was that you would not run for public office for, I think, for five years. Circuit Court Judge Talon out of Wayne County, I think, didn't agree to part of the plea, the part about you resigning and the part about you not running again. But it seems both sides otherwise, or all sides otherwise, agreed to the plea. And then you ran for uh, city council, and the prosecutor got pretty upset and basically thought you you uh, went back on the plea. Is that fair, or what happened there? Well, going back, also, so going back, morning of May 10th and then March 2016, February 2016. So the morning of May 10th, 2015, the night or the incident happened. We ultimately tried to resolve the issue in February of 2016. When I say we, I say the prosecutor and I. Um, yes, the prosecutor in ter- included terms that were deemed unconstitutional at the time by the judge. The prosecutor dropped the felonious assault and the domestic violence. 
uh, and the felony firearm, and I pled guilty to malicious destruction of property. Going back to, like I said earlier, you got to know what you're innocent of and know what you're guilty of. So my main focus to the plea was I was innocent of the assault of crime, and I think that came to bear fruition. I believe so. I believe the prosecutor saw that. Uh, and that is the reason why the prosecutor dropped those two crimes twice now. Um, those three crimes, I should say, the assault of crimes and the felony firearm, the gun charge. Um, and, you know, hey, I got a shot of Carl on the side of my house, so I couldn't run from that. So those terms that were included, the, 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 the resignation from office and the bar from running for office while I was on probation were deemed at the time unconstitutional. The situation had nothing to do with me as an elected official, so I didn't resign. Um, the judge gave another hearing date two weeks after the, uh, the allocution on the record, which was March 14th. So I went back to work, uh, and the prosecutor appealed in those two weeks. And that appeal played out after I got out of the, the, the after I completed the jail sentence, um, and ultimately culminated in me running for office in April of 2017, because in my opinion, the timing was just right for that city council run. So let's talk about you returning to the Michigan Senate. So you served, I think, two nights in jail, um, and you're working through uh, your court case with the prosecutor, and you show up uh, to the Michigan Senate, and you were voting with the Republicans on a lot of controversial legislation, and a lot of Democrats were really upset with you. Um, what's your explanation for doing that, Virgil? I wouldn't say there's an explanation, but I will say this. Um, not going to. I'll say it this way. Uh, certain members of the caucus, the Democratic caucus, is who I'm speaking of, the caucus that I was a part of at the time, um, wanted me to resign. They believed the story outright. I tried to explain the story is not true. There's another side to this, and I will defend myself, and I was not going to resign. So once that became clear that I was not going to resign, I believe that certain members tried to basically impeach me, but the votes were not there at the time. Um, now, some people say I may, have, I, I may have aligned myself with the Republicans, but a number of those issues, I agree, I, I do have conservative tone, and, and I think I've exhibited that over my career uh, in Lansing. So, a number of those issues I agreed with. And once the Democrats were shown, number of the Democrats were shown to basically not to have my back, then, hey, then what allegiance do I have to you guys at that moment in time of my, especially in the situation that I was in? Do you feel that your, your Democratic colleagues in the Senate, the Senate Dem caucus, treated you fairly? No, I do not. I do not believe that. I believe they tried to get me to, to, to resign, and when I wouldn't resign, they tried to impeach me. They tried to throw me out. So let me, let me ask you a controversial question here, Virgil. Do you feel that if you were a white guy who did the same thing, that you would have been treated differently? I'm not going to go. I, you know, I don't really want to get into that. I, I think that the situation was so hot at the time. I mean, you did have a victim, so to speak. Uh, so, you know, I, I don't want to downplay victims, but I don't really look at it as a complaining witness as a victim uh, in this situation. But you had a so-called victim screaming and yelling. Um with a number of outlandish and and uh, and heinous allegations at the time, um, I think that 
some of my conservative votes in the past made some Democrats want, you know, when that situation happened, they, you know, the, it's like gangrene. The best thing to do is just cut it off, you know, cut the limb off. And that's what they wanted to do to me. They just wanted to cut me off for me to resign so they didn't have to deal with my issues. So you're talking about the alleged victim. That's your ex-wife who, I mean, is she not a victim? I mean, her car was shot up. She, you know, you, you did escort her out of uh, your house. Um, is she not a victim? I mean, I, I, just, I just take, take I, I, don't, I, I see the real victim as a guest in my house, you know, because that's who she tried to attack. And thank God I was able to stop that from happening. You know, it goes back to never open your door. I tried to go outside and calm her down to get her to go home. I believe the way I look at it, she suckered me outside. She was able to get in some, she was able to gain entry into the house. She tried to attack my guest. My guest was in a very fearful state. I was able to get her outside. Upon getting her outside, she, she was banging on windows, doors. I caught her about to throw a chair at my car. Uh, and that's when she ran off down the street. You know, it was just a, a very, very, very negative night. One that I did not expect. I was sleeping in my own bed by unexpected guests. Came over my house in an irate fashion. So looking back on that whole situation, I mean, looking at that evening, looking at you returning to the Senate, looking at the plea deal... Um, the whole thing, and then you eventually resigned from the Senate, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Is there any, like, one or two things you wish you would have done different, with hindsight? I wish I'd have never tried to go outside. She could have destroyed my car. I, you know, I wish I'd have never tried to go outside to calm her down. Okay. Here, go home. Just leave. You know, I, I say this when I speak to the young men in school, leave her outside. Just leave. Do not open that door. What about calling the police? Do you, do, you, do you wish you would have called the Detroit police, or do you think they would have been ineffective and would have just shown up too late because their, their response time is so slow in the city? I wouldn't say that. I mean, their response time is a lot better these days, but I'm a black man in America. I don't call the police. Why not? Let's talk about that. Why not? What, what was your concern? The police are not my friends. I mean, they, you know, I, just, I don't call the police. The police ain't don't work for me. I've never looked at the police as protective service for me. I've looked at the, the police as an occupying entity. So you feel that way towards the Detroit police, the Wayne County Sheriff, the whole... I feel that way to all police officers. Every single police officer in the, state, in, in, in the United States of America. I'm a black man in America. The police are not my friends. And that's how I was raised. My father ingrained that in me in a long time. A long time ago. And you always did. You never fight a cop in the street. You always fight a cop in the courtroom. Well, that's great advice. So let me ask you, I mean, I'm, um, I'm a guy who grew up in the suburbs. I grew up in a pretty white suburb. What, what, would have ha- what, do you, what was your fear if you called the police that night? Educate me. It just never even registered in my head. It's not, I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't bred like that. I don't call the police. I, it's my, I had a number of, you know, that night there were a number of things, and I've learned a number of hard, valuable lessons uh, from that night. And, and I can honestly say, I don't believe something like that will ever happen in my life again. But as far as calling the police, I, there's no way that I'm going to call the police ever in my life. I don't call the police. It's, I've never been in a situation where I, I you know, I, I'm just not going to call the police. So let's move on. You and the prosecutor agreed to a new plea deal. Um, what, what, what's the, what, what happened with that plea? What's going on? Um, essentially, the plea 
Uh, I, 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 I pled to the same charge, malicious destruction of property over 20000 and there's added reckless discharge to that. Um, and I'm going to complete my probation. The original probation term was to end March 14th of 2021, so that is the end date. Um, I'm, so I'm going to complete the probation and put this incident behind me and keep moving forward. And um, the judge agreed to this plea. Everything's good. It's done. It's signed. Moving on. At this point, yes. We have a fifty date of October 28th. And yes, moving forward. Looking to put this behind me and keep moving forward. God is good. So one last question about the past, and this might be a tough one to answer. You spent, I think, eight or ten months in jail or prison, I think, in Wayne County. What was that experience like? I mean, I've never spent a night in jail you know, what, what is that like? I spent 256 days <laughs> or nights, you know, a wake-up in a night, is a, you know, 256 nights in a wake-up, as they say, in the Wayne County Jail system. Most of that was in the in the segregation unit in a pod for protective custody, um, which is an eye-opening experience. I mean, there's a number of people come through the Wayne County Jail, and, uh, I was, uh, inmate 2016006507. 6507 was, when I came through in March, the end of March, I was 6,507 persons to walk through the Wayne County door, uh, jail doors as an inmate to be registered and logged in. Wow. Um, it was not a fun experience, but, um, you know, it was, it was valuable as far as there's a lot of dead time. I mean, it's just a lot of dead time. You want to call free time, a lot of dead time. So I wrote a lot. I mean, I tried to say to myself, I just say I just say to myself because a number of the individuals in there just like to talk about crime. That's not a subject I want to talk about. You know, you know, various criminal activities. Yeah, so I mean, when you when you went into the Wayne County Prison, you were somewhat of a celebrity. I mean, you had a, you know, famous name. You were a state senator. So were you were you segregated from most of the population, or how does that work? Yeah, when you're a high profile inmate, yeah, they segregate you. So that's uh, how I ended up in the protective custody unit, which is for witnesses and cases, other whole high profile inmates, uh, individuals that have not yet been charged, that are being held, police officers, a number of police officers came through there. Wow. Uh, it's interesting how many cops get arrested. Wow. Uh, uh, so, yeah, that's who I was housed with. And so, I, I mean, so in that protective custody unit, what, is it like a dozen people, including yourself, or is it significantly more? Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, it was, uh, it was an eight-man it was four cells. Okay. Uh, downstairs, the four cells on the upstairs, and eight-man pod. So I mean, the stereotype is a bunch of dudes working out, a bunch of dudes getting tattooed. There's all these gangs based well, on. It's a county jail, so it's not you know. Yeah, you got the gang element. It's not really tattooed county. It's not the state penitentiary system. But yeah, you do work out a lot. We play basketball. That reminds me of childhood a little bit. We play basketball from start up to start down. A lot. Uh, did a lot of pull-ups and push-ups. Let's move on. So in the Detroit news story about your plea agreement, you said that you might still have another campaign in you. What are you, th what are you thinking about running for? 
yeah, I believe I got one more race left in me. And the only thing that I would really want to run for or at the time in alliance, because running for office is all about timing, is city council. And we'll see if the timing afford me the opportunity to run for city council again. I thought the timing lined up right in 2017. I know, again, a number of other people's opinions, but I thought the timing lined up right. Um, so I jumped on it. So we're obviously talking about Detroit City Council. So you'd either you'd want to run for one of the district positions, or maybe you would even consider running citywide. There's two citywide positions. Are you looking? Yeah, I'm at, considering. Yeah, all options are on the table. All options are on the table. So let me. So let's let's uh, let's say Virgil Smith is Detroit's newest city council person. What issues do you want to work on? My whole ordeal. I've learned a number of valuable hard lessons. I've been a part of this nonprofit, Ceasefire. Uh, 501c3 organization where we've been in schools talking about conflict resolution extending on that I would love to work with the Detroit Police Department to go after these illegal guns in the city of Detroit. We have a number of illegal guns um, I, I, I truly believe when it comes to conflict resolution if you minus the guns from the situation um, most conflicts will resolve themselves peacefully once tempers you know, once once tempers calm, but once you enter a gun into that situation, there's not a chance for tempers to calm. Um, and then with the number of illegal guns that we have inside the city of Detroit, somebody's bringing those guns inside the city. Where are they coming from, and how can we stop it? And what can I do as a council member to help stem that uh, that that process? You know, I think that's a great point, Virgil. And I remember when I worked for you in the Senate. We actually met with the uh, head of the Michigan State Police. Uh, I forgot his name, but he was uh, Governor Rick Snyder's appointment. And he mentioned that. He mentioned that there's a lot of illegal guns floating around the state. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm curious, and I mean, not to put you on the spot, you might not know. I mean, do you do – I, I, well, let me just say, I think Democrats have, are missing out on a, on a really huge issue, and that's going after all these illegal guns that are floating around our communities. I mean, do you think this is a – I agree with you. Yeah. Do you think, good, do you think this is a, a for lack of a better word, a, a gang uh, uh, issue where they, you have these gangs, for, again, for lack of a better word, that are, are profiting off of this? I mean, we talk about prostitution rings, we talk about drug rings. I mean, there, I, I think there's gun rings and there's people making tremendous amounts of money off these illegal weapons. Or do you think this is like individ, or do you think this is individuals who have like one or two illegal guns that they're just selling on the black market? What, what's the problem? Do you know? You know, it's funny. I spent a number of days in AA meetings, and in those AA meetings, I ran across a gentleman who was in there who actually had experience as a quote-unquote gun runner. Wow. And was on federal probation for that offense. Uh, and gave me some insight in that world uh, and how it operates. Uh, yes, there are gangs that run guns. Um, I don't think they necessarily look like myself, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. A lot agree. of it is moving up through the South, from what I can see, through Ohio. Um, and, you know, because we're not making them in the city, so to speak. Right. So a lot of it is moving up through the South from what I've, can, what I've seen in the past. Um, and I would really love to work with, yes, I remember that conversation with the state police commander. But I would really love to work with our chief of police 
and GPD to try to set up some type of task force. I know they already have the ATF is inside the city, but I would really love to go after it to see, you know, exactly how I as a council member can help in that process. And if I were ever to be elected again. And, get, and not to get too deep on this topic, but why do you think Democrats ignore this issue of illegal guns in our community? I think that the Democratic Party in general does not deal with African-American issues on a large scale. And some of that is our fault. We don't necessarily bring them to the forefront. Um, but our issues are somewhat left behind um, when we when we get to the to the party and we start talking about issues to be discussed. So, do you still consider yourself to be a Democrat? Yes. I'm a holding card member of the Democratic Party. And, and so, when you say that you feel the Democratic Party ignores uh, issues of African Americans, what are those issues that you would like to see Democrats focus more on? I, I wouldn't say ignore. I, I think that we could do a better job bringing our issues to the forefront when we have, you know, the requisite meetings. Um, but yes, uh, you know, gun violence in the urban setting is, is a huge issue that has not had the attention paid to it that I believe that it should. And what are the other issues you'd like to see the Democratic Party focus on? Well, here in the state of Michigan, um, we've dealt with ins you know, auto insurance, auto insurance issues that we've had some changes on. I, I, you know, I've worked on that issue for a number of years that the Democratic Party really never embraced um, what needed to take place to bring the cost of auto insurance down in an urban setting. Um, I also believe charter schools. I believe the Democratic Party has not uh, gave the attention to charter schools that maybe it necessarily needs. I think that uh, uh, the DeVos organization, uh, GLEP, Great Lakes, I can't necessarily remember the whole acronym, but the charter school movement led by the DeVos organization has decimated the Detroit public school system and led it onto a death spiral. Um, and it's a shell of what it used to be. And I think we could directly lay, lay that on the charter school movement. This whole choice movement has destroyed our school system inside the city of Detroit. So why do you blame Betsy DeVos for that? Well, she, they, the DeVos organization runs the, the, the GLEP organization. And that's all about, you know, schools of choice, pushing public school academies, pushing charter schools. Um, I sat on the education committee while I was in the house. I battled their lobbyists. Um, school of choice. So our school system in the, in, the, in the Detroit public school system was built in the fabric of our neighborhoods. And as it was like we got hit with a perfect storm coming to the end of the last decade, 2000s, with the, house, with the mortgage foreclosure crisis. Uh, and then this whole school you know, school of choice, charter school, public school academy movement um, basically closed down a number of buildings as parents started to try to find other options, and these options weren't necessarily more effective, but tried to find other options other than DPS, and I don't blame the parents. Those dollars walked right out the door of our school system, and a number of schools had to shut down and had to close because of it. 
So moving forward, what what should we as a community, as a state, what should we do to help DPS? And is DPS on the right track? Well, we have to rebuild the, the neighborhood structure within the school system um, uh, for more than one reason. It helps rebuild neighborhoods. It also helps rebuild our school structure, our school system. Um, and the charter schools are going to have to come. They're going to have, we're, we're going to have to have some type of, I don't want to say entity control everything, but the mayor, Mayor Duggan tried to create the education commission. And I believe that was a great idea to, and, and I would love to see something like that really come to fruition because we got to bring it all under one umbrella. Um, we don't have, like, busing. Our, like, the busing system is not as structured as it once was. DP, Detroit Public Community Schools now, is a, is, is, is a shell of its former self. So let's talk about the mayor uh, uh, very briefly. You were always active in your neighborhoods. You were always active in your communities. And your neighborhoods in the city of Detroit were very, very diverse. So the mayor and his allies talk about the neighborhoods coming back. And I hear stories, and I do see it when I'm in the city. I mean, I do see pockets and uh, in neighborhoods that I never thought people would be investing in. I see people investing in them. Do you see the neighborhoods coming back? Do you see a, a rebirth, for lack of a better word, or is it kind of the same old, same old? I wouldn't call it a rebirth. There's a lot of reshuffling the chairs on the deck, I, I guess I could say it like that. I mean, we've always had strong neighborhoods. I mean, I, I, I was... You know, I, I kind of was birthed out of Palmer Woods, my quote-unquote political career. That was one of the most, you know, established neighborhoods inside the city of Detroit. Um, yes, we've had new focus, new energy brought into inside the city, but you've also had black flight going on 30 years. So I don't know if our population numbers have grown any, but they've stayed stagnant over the past 10 years. Um, so the neighborhoods are not necessarily repopulating themselves, um, but there is a lot of new energy in the downtown area. We need that new energy. We need that, you know, the downtown area has, 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 has benefited from that energy. Um, the neighborhoods, not so much, but there is a focus on neighborhoods. I don't think the neighborhoods are being forgotten. Um, and it's, it's, it's not an easy equation to solve. I guess I could say it that way. Right. So last topic here. You, when you were in the Michigan Senate, uh, you were very, very active on insurance issues. I think your last term in the Michigan House, you chaired the insurance committee. And so we have insurance reform in Michigan. I would argue that that legislation they passed was basically your bills that you were working on for many years. Are you happy with it? Is it working? Are insurance rates uh, lower? Or are people just paying less for less service? Uh, all of the above, yes. All of the above to the, the, everything that you just said, yes. You do pay less for less service. It's a reduction and uh, uh, a product for a reduction in price, so to speak. Uh, but it is lowering the cost. It has brought, it's brought more competition to the state of Michigan. It has opened us up to n new entities and new insurance companies that are that, that we're not necessarily forcing them to be a health insurance company now, so to speak. Um, so it's brought new competition. Rates are, quote-unquote, lower. You can still buy uh, unlimited medical 
you know, policy within your auto insurance policy if you choose to. But you have choice. And that was my main argument. Let us have choice. Because most people inside the city of Detroit are choosing to just not buy insurance because it was so unaffordable. And those people were completely out of the 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 Michigan Catastrophic Claims Association system that we developed here in the state of Michigan. So I haven't seen any studies, and obviously this would be anecdotal, but do you think more Detroiters are covered? Do you think more Detroiters are buying auto insurance, or do you still think it's roughly the same percentage of Detroiters are driving without auto insurance? It's probably it's so new, it's, it's going to be hard to quantify, but that's one of the reasons why I would love to get to the council is to is to really um, put uh, uh, some parameters around how the insurance industry works inside the city of Detroit. I believe that we could do things to ensure that folks are getting a, a fair policy at a fair price. Um, so uh, I don't think the work is done just because uh, the law changed, the auto no-fault law changed. I don't think the work is done. I think there's still huge work that needs to be accomplished to, to make sure that people are getting a fair policy at a fair price. And one of the criticisms was that auto insurance companies didn't really want to sell insurance to Detroiters, that they really didn't try to sell insurance to Detroiters. Do you see that changing at all? Slowly. It's not that auto insurance companies didn't want to sell insurance to Detroiters. Uh, I do think there's some inherent risk in an urban setting that we have to be honest with ourselves over. I don't think it's as bad as insurance companies try to make it out to be, but there is risk there. So um, you have to, you know, that's what the actuary, that's what actuaries are for. So you have to account for that. Well, that's why I'll say there's still so much more work to be done because we have to make sure that auto insurance companies are held, are, 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 are accountable for their, for their pricing and make sure that we are accountable for, you know, we don't want, ins- you know, insurance for all things of that nature also because that also drives up the cost of insurance. Right. Well, Virgil Smith, I know you're busy. I really appreciate your time and thank you for being on the Friday Morning Podcast. Thank you. And that's it for another edition of the Friday Morning Podcast located at theballingerreport.com and at dentalresearch.com. And we'd like to give a special Friday Morning Podcast thanks to the band Little American Champ for the music of this podcast. Podcast.